So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for gathering us here today to hear your word taught and for us to be able to fellowship and have you just be the center of it all. We pray that you would open up the, your word to us today, that you would prepare our hearts to hear what it is that you have to say to us through the book of Acts chapter 12. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are removing, actually this is the last chapter that we really see Peter in the book of Acts. It's kind of a, kind of a unique thing. So he is mentioned again once or twice maybe mentioned but we don't really see him in as a character but it's um but it's a neat uh way to exit out because it's uh, another miracle that we're going to see so the beginning of acts 12 we have herod the king being mentioned and so <clears throat> one of the strategies i think for luke is to show uh, a parallel and a comparison between the um, on both sides, the secular side, which would be the Romans, and on the side of the Jews as well. We see this throughout the Gospels um, to contrast on the, on the um, secular side, the king, which who, who is what? Who is the king on the secular side? You don't have to know exactly his name, but it was Caesar, right? King of uh, the Rome, the, he ruled the world. And we see Jesus and Caesar have that conflict throughout all the Gospels through the confrontation with Pilate. And we also see um, the, the same thing happening through the book of Acts, which really the ultimate climax of the book of Acts is the Gospel, quote unquote, going to the world because ultimately it's going to Rome, okay? And so when it hits Rome, you know, it's the ultimate, uh, the pinnacle of what Jesus is, is coming here to do. He is, he's coming to, to launch his kingdom and all other kingdoms and all other quote-unquote kings are just a caricature of the true king. And so that's sort of what you want to keep in mind when you're, when you're reading Luke especially because he's always showing this. So in this chapter, he is now going to compare uh, or bring to us um, King Herod. So does anybody know anything about King Herod? Anybody remember hearing about him? Old Herod boy? H-dog? He was not fully Jewish even, right? He was, I forget the name of the... He was an Edomite. Edomite. Yeah, which is, um, which are the people that are from Samaria that sort of went during the Babylonian, or I'm sorry, the Assyrian captivity the Assyrians came in and they intermarried with the Jews um, and that those are the Edomites. So yeah, so, so the first Herod um, that we hear about is King Herod, uh, the, the main King Herod. And that's when he was around at the time Jesus was born. Um, he was a uh, really a maniacal type of guy. He, he was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so he, he was um, somebody who uh, killed his own family members that threatened his, his throne. Uh, he, he always thought everybody was against him. It's kind of a lot like parallel to Caesar uh, and Nero and things like that, but yet not quite as powerful. Um, <clears throat> and we see what Herod did, you know, when Jesus was born. I mean, that's really not like 
you know, we, we read that and we're like, oh yeah, so we had all the, I mean, the firstborn killed under two years old. I mean, but could you imagine the, the, the pandemonium and the hysteria that that must have caused uh, for a man that just was protective of his throne? You know, he had about 10 different wives um, and to make things uh, worse is his first son who was supposed to take over the kingdom. He had killed him and his his mother, his son, the son, and the son's wife. And then, um, <clears throat> as history tells us, this Herod here was the grandson of the Herod that was around when Jesus was born. And one of his ten wives, what was named Arist, uh, Arist, Aristopolis, or something like that. Aristopolis, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but it was she was obviously uh, not a Jew either. And... Um, <clears throat> She was, uh, I'm sorry, Herod had 10 wives. With Miriam, he had um, this uh, Aristopolis, who then had Herod Agrippa I, who was also considered, you know, a half-breed, because not only was his grandfather an Edomite, but now his, his uh, mother was a Greek. So <clears throat> basically, Herod at this time, this isn't even the Herod that, we, we read about with, with Paul. This is a different Herod. This is, um, I believe, that was uh, his son, this guy's son. He was Agrippa II. So when Paul was forced to be sent to Rome, remember, well, we're going to read about this. Paul says, I appeal to the king. He goes, and Felix was like, well, I was going to let you go. But since you appealed to Caesar, Caesar, you will go, you know. And so he goes to Caesar. He goes to, to be stand before uh, Caesar, which ultimately brought him to Rome, which ultimately he was able to, God was able to use it in a powerful way to impact uh, the whole entire uh, kingdom of Rome. So what do you think here? So let's read here. It says, this Herod the king, he laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to the sword. And when he saw that that pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. Now, this was during the days of unleavened bread. Excuse me. Does anybody have any idea of how long after the first that first Passover when Jesus was killed? Take a guess. I know it's it's not it's not something that's a common knowledge, but it's good to know. There's a lot of times we read later, How much? I'm asking. You're saying how many years? Yeah, later yeah. No yeah. This is. Uh, I didn't either, so I had to look it up. Um, it was 44 A.D. roughly. So you're looking at about 14 years after the Passover when Jesus died or 15 years, depending on when you see that happening, 20, 80, 29, or 80, 30. Um, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he then went and arrested Peter. So Herod and the, the whole kingdom of Israel, again, was, a, was, was pretty much a sham at the time. Uh, it was a puppet government that was put in place by Rome, and they put the people there that they knew at least they could trust the most. Um, and they also knew that Herod was sort of a little bit unaccepted by the Jews. So, the, so Rome really saw him as a good candidate. So <clears throat> he murders James to gain favor, not only what, with, um, uh, with Rome, but mostly here, as we see, with the Jews. Um, and then when he saw that, he said, hey, this is working. Let's, um, let's go and let's arrest Peter, the leader, supposed 
you know, main one of the main guys. And then they're going to put Peter in jail. But anyway, James, the brother of John. Does anybody know who that is? James, old Johnny's brother, Jimmy. Anybody know which Jimmy? Does anybody remember them? Sons of Zebedee. Yes, right. sons of Zebedee. Also what? What else were they called? Sons of Thunder. Remember, these guys were, these were tough guys. I mean, they were well, the ones walking through saying, Lord, should we cast fire down from heaven when the ones weren't believing in them, you know? And Jesus is like, you don't, you, you don't know what spirit you're asking that from. That's not what we're here to do. Like, you knuckleheads, just keep following me. So, uh, yeah, he was also, they were sons of Zebedee. John is obviously the apostle John. Um, and there's another James too that we're going to read about here um, in verse uh, 17. It says, after Peter's released from prison, he says, go report these things to James and the brethren. Does anyone know who that James was? It can't be the one who was just killed by the sword. Jesus' brother. Yes, Jesus' brother, or half-brother, however you want to say it, the James that wrote the book of James. And he was the leader at the time of Jerusalem. So Peter wasn't the leader, as opposed to what the Roman Catholic Church says. We don't have any scriptural evidence of Peter being the leader or the first pope or anything like that. If it would have been anyone, it would have been James. He was the head of the council at the main church in Jerusalem, among the other elders. <clears throat> so that's also good to know. And, and you also remember, too, there was something. What did Jesus say? What else did John and James Ask Jesus for. Do you remember that? Something pretty prideful. Sit at his right hand. Yeah, sit at his right and his left, right? And what did Jesus say? He's like, on the last shall be first, and the first shall be. Yes, that's at the end of that passage. But what was his immediate response? Thank you, Claudia, by the way. You don't know what you're asking for. (laughs) Yeah, he also says what? He says the Father has appointed that to, that's, that's up to the Father to appoint that to sit at my left and my right. And I always thought about that because Jesus is talking about their death. And he says right after that, you'll cert- if he goes, you could sit there if you want to, to receive the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. And they both said, oh, yes, Lord, we will. We're ready to receive it. He says, well, you don't know what you're asking for. That's appointed by my father. But I also thought, like, who else sat at the right and left of Jesus? when he was enthroned, right, on the cross, we had the two, we had the two thieves, the two men at the cross, one, one of which that got converted. So I always thought maybe Jesus was playing off of that as well, too. But because they're, you know, they're going to die, those two thieves and robbers, but you're also going to have to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. And that's what James actually happened. To be put to death with the sword, does anyone know what that is? How that execution is carried out? What is it? it Yes, it's a beheading. Ah. So anytime you see that, um, that that's how they did it. That's you know for James, we don't we could speculate on it, but we know he was he was the son of thunder, and he was probably being very bold, um, which is why he was probably very accessible. So James. Um, the the son of thunder. Wait a minute. James and the brother John with this sword. Where was I going with this? Um, oh yeah. So, <clears throat> what's unique about this 
So who was the first martyr? Does anyone remember? You, know, you remember who the first martyr is? Stephen. But what's unique about James, this is the second time we see somebody getting killed. But what's unique about James as opposed to Stephen? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone? James was the first apostle that was ever killed. So <clears throat> this is the first time one of the 12 was killed, other than Judas, who killed himself. It's the first one who boldly stood up was with Christ. And so after this happens, look, you know, <clears throat> if somebody get, you know, if, if, if James is getting arrested by Herod and he's getting killed with the sword, he went and arrested Peter during the Passover. <laughs> what do you think Peter's thinking? Yeah, he's going to be executed. <clears throat> That's a pretty scary thing, right? They start executing Christians in freehold. They start coming into churches in freehold and executing the, the, the leaders and the people in there. It would be a different Sunday today, <laughs> right? We would really be, our faith would really, really be tested. Um, it would be a lot of, lot of, uh, it would be a lot of contemplating. There definitely would be some, some talking, man, what do we do? How do we respond to this? You know, Peter was in prison. He had four squads of soldiers to guard him. And then after Passover, he was going to bring them before the people like Jesus did, like Jesus was. He was kept in prison, but prayer was being made for him fervently by the church. And was Peter out of his mind going, what am I going to do? pacing around. Why, Lord? What's going on? Why are you doing this to me? Nope. On verse 6, what does it say Peter was doing? He was sleeping. I love it, you know, because you know how nervous Peter was, you know, during the time of Christ and when he was with Jesus and at the, at the, when Jesus was arrested, he was denying Christ. He was running all over the place. But this is old hat to Peter, man. He was already put in prison in Acts 5. And what happened? Angel of the Lord came, opened up the door, and said, go stand and speak in the temple all the words of this life. Go right back and do it. Peter did. So Peter had nothing to worry about. I shouldn't say that. The problems that Peter had, he chose not to worry about them. Why? State the obvious. He was trusting in the Lord. But here's what we have to take away from this. Why was he trusting in the Lord? But I think he was also trusting the Lord and also um, no matter what, not just trusting the Lord that he would definitely be rescued. No, yeah, I don't think... Trusting yeah. the Lord that no matter what, it, it was the Lord's will, he would be... Yeah. I think that's, yeah, look, if he's going to, if this is the time, because it's not like he's thinking, well, nothing's going to happen to me. His buddy James just got decapitated. But he's like what Chris said. He's like, just, you know what? I'm trusting in the Lord. If it happens this way, it's going to be the Lord's will. If it happens that way, it's going to be the Lord's will. To get that attitude, to be able to be, arrive at that place is the key. That's the difficult part. Doesn't mean we don't have fear. It doesn't mean we don't contemplate and say, well, I better maybe 
plan out a couple of possibilities here, but ultimately it gets, it gets put in the Lord's hands. And that's what we have to do. But here's what I love about this. One of the takeaways for me when I read this is that Peter knew all the things that we know he knew. I mean, he knew the Lord. He knew how real things were. It was very real to him. But he is probably also relying too on all the things we just mentioned because that's how God always was in his life. In other words, he's looking back to things that on ways that God had revealed himself in the past. Forget about how it is, whether God appeared to him or spoke to him, the visions. I mean, he had all that stuff going for him. But forget about all that because we have the word of God. And when we go to the word of God, when we're in a dilemma and we trust the word of God, we trust the Lord, then what ends up happening is that we then grow exponentially each time we continue to trust and trust and trust. And that's how our faith gets stronger. Your faith will not get stronger if you don't step out in trust. I, didn't, I don't want to say step out in faith because that would be more pertaining to, okay, the Lord's calling me here. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm going to do it. Okay, when, when I felt the Lord calling me full-time in the ministry, I said, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this, Lord. And it took me, the hardest thing was for me to just step out and do it. And, and that's the hardest part for all of us, regardless of what we're struggling with. And the, and the beautiful thing about, about Christ is that he meets us where we are, according to the measure of faith that's given to us by God. So if, we're, if we have just, oh, ye of little faith, he still meets us there. If we have great faith, he'll, he'll, he'll meet us there too. And, and I believe we'll do greater things. But I think we have to all realize that wherever we're at, we have to trust in the Lord in, those, in, the, in the little things and then in the bigger things. And, you know, with however, whatever the Lord puts in your, in your path, trust. And so that, I think, everything that we just talked about, um, really goes well with Peter sleeping between these two soldiers. Now, again, Herod, you know, knows what happened last time. He's like, these guys, are these the guys that were arrested? And then the, you know, the chains opened and the door got and they went. So he's trying to, to prevent that from happening. Right? He's saying, oh, no way. There's no way this is going to happen this time. I'm going to put four squads of soldiers and I'm going to chain him to, to, to a soldier here and a soldier there. This guy's never going to be able to leave. But what was Herod forgetting? Who was he going up against? He's going up against God. Right? Remember Gamaliel's wisdom after chapter five? He's like, look, if this thing turns into something big and it's God behind it, you're not going to be able to stop it anyway. You may find yourself, what? Fighting against God. And that's exactly what Herod is doing here. He's trying to fight against God. Have you ever tried that? Fighting against God? No matter what you try to do, no matter how many different ways and things you go, turns you go, you still hear that. You still hear God's word hitting you through people, through the scriptures, through the songs. Like, it almost seems like God is just encompassing you with that 
with all these different uh, leadings or whatever the case, you cannot fight against God. Um, I thought this was cool uh, off out of David Guzik's commentary. He says, history is filled with the stories of men who thought they could fight against God and succeed. Their ruined lives are evidence that it can't be done. Frederick Nietzsche, who was the philosopher who coined the idea that God was dead and that Christianity was a despised religion of weaklings, fighting God drove him insane, and he spent the last several years of his life in that position. Sinclair Lewis won the Nobel Prize for Literature and fought against God in his book, Elmer Gantry. The book was about an evangelist who was also an alcoholic, and he would sleep with any woman he could. He died a hopeless alcoholic in a clinic near Rome. And he says, writer Ernest Hemingway lived his life of adventure and sin against God seemingly without consequence until he shot himself in the head with a shotgun. So fighting against God just doesn't work. You can't do it. Um, you know, one of the things that happened, one of the best pieces of advice that somebody gave me uh, one time, I don't remember who it was or quite when it was, but it's something that I try to pass on to everyone that I possibly can. And that is half of the things that we are worried about, and, and I would say more than half, that, we're, that make us anxious or that get us fearful are things that are absolutely out of our control. They're absolutely out of our control. Things that we cannot change, we worry about and we fight against it. And that's sort of like fighting against God because God is ultimately over all things. And if if he's allowing something in your life, then he's allowing something in your life. The things that we should be concerned about is what we can do and what we can change. And that number one thing is trusting in God. And that's what the church did here with Peter. It says Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. Fervently. Uh, Another translation says agonizing. Uh, It's an agonizing prayer. Like like the same word is used when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, shedding that uh, sweating blood. Same word. That's how they, they were intensely praying for Peter. <clears throat> the um, another another uh, 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 example uh, that I pulled out of one of the commentaries with the word here it says this refers to uh, also a constant stretching like a stretching your muscles to the absolute limit before they tear that's agonizing prayer that's what they were doing. So I don't mean like, hey, let go and let God, everything's going to work out, can't change anything. What am I going to do? Well, let's eat, drink, and be merry. No, that's not what I'm saying. What the Word of God says is that there's this dynamic tension between the sovereignty of God and His providence over the things of this world and also our faith and prayer in the seeking of God. He, he uses it all. It's all within His providence. So when we get into those situations where we have to trust God, the way that you strengthen your faith and the way that you get that attitude 
of saying, I can't change it, I'm going to give it to him, is through fervent prayer. My, that's what I believe. Fervent prayer. Intense prayer. It doesn't mean I want you guys to like, you know, try to really pray to failure, right? It doesn't mean you necessarily have to sweat blood, but it's deliberate prayer. It's prayer that knows you're speaking to God. <clears throat> not mumbly prayer, not pillow prayer, but a prayer like that's engaging and active as if you were going to see the doctor. And what would you have to do? You, you'd make an appointment, you'd get in your car, you'd drive to the doctor's office, you'd wait in the waiting room, and then you would go in and talk to him, right? You, you do everything. You, it's a specific, deliberate action, all right? It's not just looking up the symptoms on the internet, you know, and saying, this is what I have. You're communicating with a person, and God will meet you that way. Fervent prayer doesn't have to be necessarily long prayer. Fervent prayer doesn't have to be, you know, in any certain position. Fervent prayer is from the heart where it's stretching. Um, And so, yeah, so anyway, this angel of the Lord suddenly appears. He had to strike Peter's side to wake him up, verse 7. And he said, look, get up quickly. You see, there's something going on here. This This is battle language. You know, this isn't like, don't worry, you know, no one can ever hear me or never see me. Like these angels are being sent on a mission that's not, you know, a lighthearted mission. We, we read about in Daniel how angels were summoned when Daniel started to pray and, and they ended up in the spiritual realm facing a real battle, a fight. That's, and it actually delayed the angel from getting there. So here this angel's like, say, look, get up quick. Let's get going here. There's some sort of battle going on to make him want to go quick. There's an urgency. And again, he's dealing too with a guy who's just received visions, you know, with things hanging down and, and different animals on it. So rightly, Peter's like, is this a vision? Is this real? <clears throat> he says that in verse nine. He didn't know what was being done, if it was real or if he was seeing a vision. But then he passed the first and second guard and they came to the iron gate that leads into the city. An iron gate. Iron gate. That's another thing to me that like really jumps out. Because I don't know about you, but when I see, when I have issues and problems, that's what I look at them as. Like, like how am I going to get through this iron gate? <laughs> I, can, I can handle a wooden gate. I can break through that. But you see, God purposely puts iron gates through there because in, in our life. And that iron gate opens by itself. See, only God can open that which is forced closed. Only God can close that which is wedged open. That iron gate is what God has to move. So remember that when you trust they went along uh, down one street, the, and the angel just dis- disappeared. And then verse 11, Peter came to himself. He says, I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. 
So here we have, you know, situations here in life where we look around and we say, why, Lord, did you spare me? Why am I spared? Why was my son or daughter spared and not the other? You know, I, I just, I read the other day, two days ago, there's a youth pastor down in, I think, in Atlanta or south, south of the country, and his wife driving to church and they get killed in a car accident. And their infant son survives the accident. Like, I think about that, right? We, we, we say to ourselves, why, why? Oh my gosh. But we have to be careful to say why. I, don't, I try to force myself not to do that. And I try to force myself to say why. Because God wants you to pray for them right now. God wants you to remember them. God wants you to know that your life is but a vapor. Our life, in Job it says, our life comes forth like a flower and then it's cut down. It's here like a shadow and then it continues not. And so Peter is just praising the Lord. Man, God delivered me. You woke up this morning. That means God has something for you. That means God has not something for you, but something for you to do or be or say to others. And the word of God is our guide, encouraging others, whatever, whatever it is, a word you'll, you'll, you'll never know how you impact others until you get into that other, <clears throat> other side of the resurrection. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you're going to see how many things you've said, how many things you've done that God had deliberately, purposely used you for that you had no idea about. And so Peter now is saying, hey, look, James just got beheaded, but God delivered me from the hand of the Jews. All right, what am I going to do? I got out the first thing he does is he goes and he finds some Christians, the local Christian gathering. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. And this is the Mark that wrote the book of Mark. Where, and we don't hear about her anymore. Where many were gathered and they were praying. Okay, sorry. Many were gathered and praying. I thought it was an alarm. And I love this part. Us older people will relate to this, but uh, you younger people won't. He knocked at the door of the gate and then Rhoda comes to the door. <laughs> remember Rhoda. Rhoda, right? Do you remember the TV show Rhoda? Uh, Come on, Randy. I know. Hubert, do you remember Rhoda? I don't think the show was called that. It was called Rhoda. Yeah. yeah. And she was like this, you know, crazy, you know, funny woman. Uh, and that's who I think of. Uh, her name means Rose, so she, I, know I, like, I always like to call that out. A servant girl. She comes to the door. She recognizes Peter because of the joy. She didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel, because that was a, a Jewish tr- a folktale tradition of angels visiting of dead people and showing themselves and they had an angel that represented them and that sort of thing. But Peter continued knocking. It's not his angel. They opened the door 
And they were amazed. And he tells them, be quiet. And he says, this is what just happened. Go tell James. Okay, because James is, and the brethren are probably thinking, okay, now Peter's going to be, how are we going to handle this? You know, what's this going to do to the church? You know, how are we going to manage this, another death, you know, and, and get people to, to realize that this is God's will, whatever the case may be. So Peter is going immediately and he's reaching out to the church. And we see fellowship here. We see prayer here. We see the church coming together. I love that. I love what we did here during Christmas. We get together for dinner. I love when we have fellowship after service. I love when we have events and we get together as families because this is what strengthens the church, not Sundays. Sundays, yes, are great. We come and we worship. We hear the word of God, but that's really like appetizer, right? We have to now then go out and be the church and and we we have to come together and pray for each other, come together and trust each other and trust our worries and trust our problems. Share with those people that you're comfortable with in the, in, in the fellowship. Get to know other people. And, you know, it's like after church, you meet, we, we say to people, hey, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. It's, hey, how can I pray for you this week? You will be like, you'll hear people, oh, thank you so much. Can you, this is my daughter, so da, da, and just say that, you know. Hey, how can I pray for you? Because this is what really tightens us up, and that will grow relationships as well. So then the, the soldiers get executed by Herod. That was what happened. If you were guarding a soldier, and he left you, and he escaped, it was your life. <clears throat> and then Peter heads from Judea. Uh, to Caesarea and was spending time there. One thing you got to realize is that when you ever hear people going from Jerusalem or Judea, they always go down from there, whether it's north, south, east, or west, <laughs> because it's 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 uh, Jerusalem was was known as we're going up to Jerusalem. So don't I know you know you got to remember my map and have the picture of that in your mind. Okay, so he's really going north to Caesarea. And he's spending time there. And so then we see now Luke showing us Herod. We show Luke, Luke shows us that Herod is going against, trying to fight against God. We know that that doesn't work. And so uh, now Luke adds this commentary. This isn't necessarily right at the same time. It's a short time after. But again, Luke is showing us again the, the, the comparison here, which is not the true king. Herod is not the true king of the Jews. Jesus is the true king. <clears throat> Jesus is reigning. That's the complaint about people when they when they come to when they want to complain about Jesus. They don't say it's this guy telling everybody how to get to heaven. We got to get rid of him. No, it's this guy who is claiming himself to be king, Christ the King. They're preaching this Christ the King, and that's the big political major threat. Because if you say you're a king, what you're automatically saying is the one that's there is not. It's not like it's a lightly taken. Okay? You know that if, if you started talking negatively about the president of the United States in a way that threatened his life, chances are you'd get a visit by the Secret Service within a few weeks. If you started doing that publicly or even on your phone or, or on the internet, that's how serious it would be to call somebody else a king back in the time of Christ. 
was that that was a threat to, to Caesar, and the Romans were brutal, as we, as we know. But, but the king of the Jews, Herod, he was allowed by the Romans, by the Romans to be able to, 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 to rule in a certain way with limited um, power. It says here, he was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him. And having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. Now, what did, remember, what was the prophecy that ended chapter 11, that there was going to be a famine? Remember that? So the famine is coming true. We're seeing that here. And this one, uh, I guess, um, uh, they were fed by the king's country. This other Blastus, this king's chamberlain, they let him come in. And the people of Tyre and Sodom are saying, hey, give us some food. Now, on the appointed day, on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to the people. And the people were crying out, the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Josephus talks about this incident in uh, Antiquities 19.8.2. Uh, writing about the Roman world, he, des- he describes his death. He put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out in a surprising manner and was so resplendent in, I don't know how, what that word means, as to spread a horror, maybe splendid, I guess beautiful, as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, though not for his good, that he was a god. And then a severe pain arose in his belly, and he began in a most violent manner. And then when he had been worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he died. So the angel of the Lord, we look at it, we're like, he struck him, ah, and he just falls and worms come out of his body. I don't think that's necessarily what it says here, although it could be. Um, it's, what happened is he gets struck by this stomach disease, and within a couple of days, he starts to become eaten by worms, just becoming his probably some sort of leprous, I don't know what it was, but it definitely caused his, the body to, 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 to die inside. I don't, I'm sure there's some sort of condition for it. And he was, and he was eaten by worms and died. So King Herod is now out of the picture. We see Jerusalem now. Again, this is AD, let's say, 44, 45. In a few years, Jerusalem is going down. And this is just part of it. We see now the king is going down and he's getting replaced. And there's more political tie-in. There's some sure more payoffs, all that other stuff. And of course, Luke has to end the chapter like he always does, but the word of the Lord continue to grow and be multiplied. So here we see another tragedy, horrific tragedy of one of the apostles of Jesus being killed by the sword and the church continues to grow and be multiplied. We look and we see Peter get arrested His life is in danger now. He's escaped. There's a warrant out for his arrest. But what happened? The church prayed. 
And now the church continues to grow. You see, what we really have to realize, guys, is that as Christians, we're responsible for putting the word of God in God's kingdom first before everything else in our life. That has to be our priority. And when we look at that, the word of God multiplying, the word of God continuing to grow, regardless of what else go, is going on, we can say to God be the glory. We, this is, we're winning. This is, this is joyous. People are getting transformed. People are, becoming, are coming to being reconciled with the God that they were separated from. His love is being revealed to them. They're getting saved from God's own justice. They're part of the new kingdom, the new creation, and the world that we're involved in here, the evil system of the world, that's getting passed away because of the victory at the cross. And it's implemented through God's church, through the word of God. So be encouraged through your... your trials, your iron gates. Be plugged into your church like everyone here is. Rely on your brothers and sisters at school that you guys are that you guys are going back to college in a couple of weeks. Get plugged into your network over there when you when you leave here, the beautiful thing, <clears throat> when you leave Freehold, God has people everywhere. Find that find them like Peter did. Hopefully you find them praying, fellowshipping, studying the word. And then realize that our number one purpose is to put God first in his word. And, and that, that needs to give, go out and that needs to multiply. Any, any, uh, anyone else have any application or anything to add? Ant? It was. It's funny. It says it's, that's the exact word that they use here. He, he describes it in gruesome detail. Uh, Josephus, by the way, I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and in the scriptures. It's interesting that the, the, they're all praying and Peter shows up. What they're praying for has happened, mm. but they don't believe it. Right. <laughs> That is funny. It's I just us. The same thing. I did the same yeah. thing yesterday. I was, I, uh, we've been praying for uh, my niece's husband, my nephew, and uh, I bought him a, a devotional for Christmas, and he had such a positive reaction to it that he, and he kept on going, and I was like, oh, wait, no, this is serious. Like, you really are okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't expect all that. It's so great. I know. But it was exactly what we were praying for. Yeah. Amen. Anyone else got anything to add? All right. You want to pray? Sure. Chris, thank you, brother. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you again for the gift that uh, we celebrated of salvation. Uh, Jesus come to die for our sins. Lord, we pray that as we uh, move after Christmas that we don't feel those uh, feelings that Pastor Pat wrote about in his email and, and uh, allow that to overtake the joy of our salvation. And we pray that we would have the great faith that we see demonstrated um, your faithfulness 
that proves our faith uh, justified, Lord. So we pray that we would see that in your word and that we would go forth this morning and just worship you with great joy and have peace with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.